All right. Thank you to all of those who have helped lead us in uh, our time of worship this morning. My dad uh, used to sing, I don't know, he didn't make it up. It came from somewhere, but he had his own version of the birthday song. And some of you have heard me sing this before. Um, and we've got an at church this weekend. And Nora and Devin and Harper and uh, Henry have all had birthdays. I'm sure there's others that I'm missing. But um, so my dad had a birthday song and, and, it, and it went something like this. <clears throat> Murder, trouble, and despair, people dying everywhere, but happy birthday. He would do it several more times to really give it the full effect. Um, and, and it's a funny thing because as gloomy as he was trying to be, it always came across as pretty funny. And we would get to laughing so hard and he would just have a, a face just filled with utter despair. Um, and, and maybe it's a little bit too close to home this year that it really feels like the world is kind of a little bit too filled with all those things to celebrate. Uh, but I think that we run into a little bit of a problem when we as Christians start to sing our songs of praise and we talk about Jesus and faith in our life and it ends up sounding something like um, everything is terrible, murder, trouble, and despair, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, but Jesus got out of the grave anyway. And if that's the way that we think about the life of faith and the gospel and the way that we live it out and celebrate Jesus, I think we're doing a disservice to celebrating Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. I think we do a disservice to our claim that God is in control and that God is a good king and a good God. And if we're just gloomy all the time, we run into all kinds of um, problems. I don't think the world is very attracted to a group of Christian people uh, who sing song of praises like murder, trouble, and despair, people dying everywhere, but Jesus loves you. And so last week, we kind of began a couple-week conversation on uh, nostalgia and understanding the bad old days or the good old days or what are these days and how do they fit into the past. And last week, we talked about the spiritual danger of nostalgia. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10 says, uh, very plainly, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. It's not wise to ask, why are the old days better than these? But we love asking these questions. We love being nostalgic. And it's not to say there's not a place for remembering special people that we've lost, because that's good grieving. Uh, it's celebrating their life and their legacy in, in us. It's not to say we can't remember when God has delivered us from past trials, because that leads to thanksgiving, and it reminds us that we have faith in the present and hope for the future when we remember that things of the past, uh, we've persevered through them, and, and God's delivered us, and he will deliver us again. The problem is when we only remember the good of the past, and we don't remember the difficulty and the struggle of it, we turn the past into a rose-tinted idol. Nostalgia then becomes an unrealistic worship of the past that prevents us from moving through the present with hope for the future. Uh, spiritually, that kind of nostalgia can become idolatry. It fails to trust God in the present. It fails to help us live with Christian hope for the future. 
It can cause some spiritual problems. When God wants to take us from where he finds us to where he wants us to be, nostalgia will anchor us to where he found us, and we don't want to go forward. God will say, come on, I'm inviting you over here, and we'll say, the journey looks hard, no thank you. Uh, It prevents us from receiving the redemptive uh, work that God tries to do when we're going through trials and difficulty in our life. And God says, I'm going to grow you up towards full maturity, like it talks about in James 1. I'm going to grow you up to full maturity through the suffering that you're going through. And we say, "Um, I'm going to bypass the suffering and just kind of stay immature like I am. Thanks, God. No, thank you, though. Uh, I I remember the good old days, and I'm just going to stay the way I was. And finally, Nostalgia uh, leads Christians to live into worry and fear instead of faith and hope. And and we get bogged down in those things. And those are not the way uh, the spiritual characteristics of faith-filled, gospel-oriented people. So I told you last week uh, that week what we would be doing is getting into the actual uh, evidence of whether or not the good old days were that much better anyhow. Because the assumption that we often have is that things used to be better and that they are getting worse. We all kind of buy into that narrative. Uh, In fact, if you go back um, to 2016, you'll find people saying this is the worst year ever. That, of course, was until 2017, which became the worst year ever. And then 2018 was famously I mean, every year we're convinced that things are getting worse and they aren't as good as they used to be. We believe that suffering is on the rise. We believe that that anger is up, division is up, that poverty, illness, natural disasters are all happening at greater rates and with greater frequency and in worse extents than they have been in the past. And so how, in a world where we're convinced that things actually are... uh, really worse than they've ever been before. How can God ask us in a world like that to not say, why are the old days so much better than these days? Which brings me to one of my favorite TED Talks of all time. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks. They're um, technology, education, and I don't know the D stands for something. Um, but they're talks that, that, that they bring in experts from around the world and they give these talks at conferences. They're streamed on YouTube. Um, and a lot of them are very, very good. And one of my favorite is by Dr. Steven Pinker. Uh, Dr. Pinker is a Canadian psychologist who's written a book called Enlightenment Now. Haven't read it, uh, but he did a TED Talk on the book. I've watched that four times. That only takes about 15 minutes. Uh, in the book Enlightenment Now, though, he's got over 75 charts and graphs and statistics that argue convincingly that based on data, the world is getting better. The world is getting better. That suffering is on the decline, that life is improving, and that even happiness is on the rise in the vast majority of countries worldwide. Now, admittedly, uh, his data comes from 2017, but it looks back over the last 30 goes back significantly farther than that to help you realize things used to be really bad. Um, I, I want to share some of these stats with you today because simply me making the claim that the world is better than it used to be, for most of you, you're just going to go, I don't think so. He's out of his mind. I've been watching uh, the news. I've been talking to my friends. Things are definitely worse than they used to be. Uh, but because it's got a lot of uh, data and numbers 
I don't want to overwhelm you to where you tune out. So I'm going to actually sh share my screen with you here so that you can see these numbers. All right. So last year, Americans killed each other at a rate of 5.300 per 100,000, had 7% of their citizens in poverty, and emitted 21 million tons of particulate matter and 4 million tons of sulfur dioxide. But 30 years ago, the homicide rate was 8.5 per 100,000, poverty rate was 12%, and emitted 35 million tons of sulfur dioxide. My screen here a little bit. Um, if, if you're not sure what all that means, what you need to know is things are better than they used to be. Last year, and again, this is 2017. So in 2017, the world had 12 ongoing wars, 60 autocracies, 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 10% of the world population in extreme poverty, and more than 10,000 nuclear weapons. But 30 years ago, there were 23 wars, 85 autocracies, 37% of the world population in extreme poverty, and more than 60,000 nuclear weapons. Things are better than they used to be. True, last year was a terrible year for terrorism in Western Europe. These quotes are from Steven uh, Pinker's TED Talk. So again, all of them are in 2018, talking about 2017. So 2017 was a terrible year for terrorism in Western Europe with 238 deaths. But in 1988, it was worse with 440 deaths. For most of human history, life expectancy at birth was around 30. Today, worldwide, it's more than 70. And in the developed parts of the world, more than 80. 250 years ago, in the richest countries of the world, a third of the children did not live to see their fifth birthday. And that's in the richest countries of the world. Before the risk was brought down a hundredfold. Today, uh, the loss of life before the age of fight, uh, before five, befalls less than 6% of children in the poorest countries of the world. Famine, of course, is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It could bring devastation to any part of the world. Today, famine has been banished to the most remote and war-ravaged regions. Also, side note, last week I made a joke about how we were living through last year the first ever uh, toilet paper famine in the history of the world. Uh, randomly, I came across this week a YouTube video with Johnny Carson, I think back in the 70s, making jokes about a total uh, toilet paper shortage. So truly, um, nothing is new under the sun. 200 years ago, 90% of the world's population subsisted in extreme poverty. Today, fewer than 10% of people do. For most of human history, the powerful states and empires were pretty much always at war with each other. Peace was a mere interlude between wars. Today, they are never at war with each other. The last great power war pitted the United States against China over 65 years ago. And this is talking about wars between the great powers of the world that, that bring the whole world into the conflict. More recently, wars of all kinds have become fewer and less deadly. The annual rate of war has fallen from about 22 per 100,000 per year in the early 50s to 1.2 today. Over the last century, we've become 96% less likely to be killed in a car crash, 88% less likely to be mowed down on the sidewalk, 99% less likely to die in a plane crash, 
95% less likely to be killed on the job, 89% less likely to be killed by an act of God, such as drought, flood, wildfire, storm, volcano, landslide, earthquake, or meteor strike. Presumably, not because God has become less angry with us, but because of improvements in the resilience of our infrastructure. And what about the quintessential act of God, the projectile hurled by Zeus himself? Yes, we are 97% less likely to be killed by a bolt of lightning today than in years past. Before the 17th century, no more than 15% of Europeans could read or write. Europe and the United States achieved universal literacy by the middle of the 20th century, and the rest of the world is catching up. Today, more than 90% of the world's population under the age of 25 can read and write. Thanks to the universal penetration of running water and electricity in the developed world and the widespread adoption of washing machines, vacuum cleaners, refrigerators, dishwashers, stoves, and microwaves, the amount of our lives that we forfeit to housework has fallen from 60 hours a week to fewer than 15 hours a week. In 86% of the world's countries, happiness has increased in recent decades. I hope that this was overwhelming to you. If you weren't able to take it all in, I didn't intend for you to do that. There won't be a test or a quiz on the material. But what my hope was is that you would see this and be overwhelmingly convinced that the world is not worse than it has been historically. So many different areas of life and conflict and health and wealth are increasing. Now, it doesn't mean that 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 there aren't people who are suffering, there will always be people who are suffering with poverty and illness and death and war. And Christians are always called to be stepping into those gaps on God's behalf to bring his peace and goodness into those moments. But what I do think is significant is that it needs to give us confidence and faith for a future that God continues to bless us in. If you actually go and, and watch later the TED Talk by Dr. Pinker or read his book, Enlightenment Now, he's going to tell you that belief in God, uh, the God who created, or Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, is what he calls magical thinking. He considers religion to be one of the obstacles to human prosperity. So I don't tell you all of this to tell you that I think that Steven Pinkerton has it right and that he's brilliant and that his worldview is, is one that I share. I don't. He and I have very radically different views of the world that we live in. What's interesting is that I think we need to recognize that there's a problem that somebody who doesn't believe in God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit is able to look at the data about our world and the current human condition and have more confidence, more peace, and more hope than Christians who claim to follow the Prince of Peace and have faith and hope rooted in Jesus Christ. We've got a problem if he doesn't believe in anything beyond this world and he's optimistic and Christians who believe in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected that we can be baptized and have eternal life in him and through him, if we're more pessimistic than he is, we've got a problem. I think it's a problem that Christians today more sound more like Chicken Little running around crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, more like Eeyore who only finds gloom and despair no matter what evidence is presented to him 
Or if you've ever seen the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the robot with the really big head, and they ask him, you know, what are our odds of success? And he says, well, I could tell you, but you're not going to like it. That sounds like so many Christians these days. The world asks us, hey, what reasons do you have for hope? And our response is, I've watched the news. I don't think there's anything good to look forward to. If that's the Christian hope, we've got a problem. If a secular humanist looks at the world with gratitude and optimism, and his advice is that we should stop asking why are the old days so much better than these days, and we can't quit saying, I just missed the good old days, we've got a problem in the church. Because of course, the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be love. So many Christians are hung up in divisiveness. Joy, and we've got despair. Peace looks like, in so many of us, anxiety. Patience looks like panic. Kindness is rudeness. Goodness is portrayed through anger. Faithfulness is replaced with fear. Gentleness is just constant abrasiveness to a world that we disagree with. And when it comes to self-control, we don't seem to have it. If the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and what I see over and over again from Christians in the world is instead the list on the right of this page, I think we've got a problem. And part of that is rooted in our false understanding that the world is just broken and getting worse. The data just doesn't back it up. God is still good. God is still in control. God continues to bless us, and we ignore it and aren't grateful, and so we don't have faith in the present or hope for the future. We need a reality check. If we're going to stop being the people who miss the days gone by and anticipate what God has in store for us in the future, we're going to need the fruit of the spirit to actually take root in us and to fight away the cancerous division and anger and anxiety that has become so common in the world that we live in today. We need a little bit more than that too. One of the things we're going to need is an understanding like Paul had of the world. In his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, Paul writes to them. This is Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We need that understanding that if God is for us, who can be against us? If we can reclaim that, we're going to have an attitude much more like what Paul's about to describe and much less like what we see in so many Christians today who are just longing for the good old days that really never existed anyways. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you can read that and then be in despair about the present or the future, you weren't paying attention. If you can hear those words and be worried about the condition of the world that we live in, if you can do that, then you're not accepting what Paul says is true about the love of God because you can't be separated from that. And that death, nor life, nor the present, nor the future, or anything else can challenge that. And yet here we are in our lives over and over again, finding different ways to sing and share with other people and worry and post on Facebook. Murder, trouble, and despair. Things are terrible everywhere, but Jesus loves you. What Paul, I think, said it better than we often do. We need to reclaim this confidence in the love of God demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that if God is for us, there is no one who can stand against us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And there is no reason for anxiety or despair if we actually believe those statements are true. If we're going to stop being the people who long for the past and instead become the people who are hopefully anticipating what God has in store for us next, we have to be rooted in the gospel message, salvation of Jesus Christ that is offered to us, and the love which none of our current circumstances can separate us from. There's nothing going on in the world right now that can separate you from God. And the last passage I want to look at today is the one that Evan read earlier. Philippians chapter 4, because we can't just be rooted in the salvation that Jesus offers us. We actually need a little bit of nuts and bolts teaching to help us understand how it is that we can be these people that aren't gloom and doom, but Jesus loves me. Letter to the Philippians, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We need to seek out what is good, excellent, noble, praiseworthy, and true. We need to seek out the things of God. Church, I'm telling you, if you spend two, three, four hours a day pouring in gloom, doom, and depressing, worried people and their fears into your mind and into your heart, you will be filled with those things. 
But if you instead orient yourself to seeing what God has done, what God is doing, having confidence and hope in what God will do, eating in his word, surrounding yourself with his uh, songs of praise, choosing people to surround yourself with who can be encouraging to you, choosing to be the kind of person who can be encouraging and uplifting to others, a voice of optimism instead of a voice of despair, a voice of hope instead of a voice of anxiety. If we can become the people who focus on these things, then we're going to start looking a lot more like the people that God is calling us to be and a lot less like the people who buy into this story that this year is the worst period, year period, ever period. Because the truth is there's a lot of things that are better than they used to be. And I'm thankful for them. And I hope that you are too. And I hope that you aren't buying into this idea that God has left us to this world of despair. And so we just have to endure it and suffer through it and be miserable until Jesus comes back and brings us home. God is with us. God, if he is for us, who can stand against us? God fills us with his spirit that gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of the things that we need to experience incredible joy and fulfillment in this world and in this life, regardless of our circumstances, because there are no circumstances that can separate you from the love of God and the salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I hope that this lesson has been an encouragement and a blessing to you today. Because if this kind of data and information is more encouraging to people that don't believe in God than it is to the people who believe that God created, Jesus saves, that we are redeemed and, and given salvation as a result of that, we've got a big problem, church. We need to believe that we are more than conquerors, that nothing can separate us from God, and that we're called to live differently than the world by believing that God is good and God is with us. When we're able to do that, we're able to become the people who can do like we did last week, like we talked about last week. Uh, whenever you hear someone say, I can't wait to get back to the way things were, I can't wait to get back to normal, I hope we remember that we're not looking forward to the bad old days, that we are in fact the people who are looking forward to whatever good thing God has in store for us next. So the next time you find yourself thinking, I just want things to get back to normal, go, no, 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 wait a minute. I want things to get forward to what God has next. God help us to be that respond to you with faith, with hope, um, with a belief that you can guide us into a better future than you found us in in the past, to remember that you take us from a place of lostness to a place of paradise, that you grow us up from less maturity to more maturity, that you desire for us to be people of peace, hope, and faith. Father, help us to live into those desires that you have for us with confidence and not with fear. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. At this time, um, Kevin is going to have a shepherd's prayer for us and bring a number of the concerns of the church uh, in front of you and in front of God on their behalf. I want to thank Kent for those words. You know, actually what Paul was saying and what he was saying in this sermon is there's always 
something positive in every crisis to find. And as I looked out the window at the raging, blowing snow, I found it. After this is finished and we dismiss this online assembly today, not a single one of us have to venture out into the Arctic blast of our parking lot and warm our cars up today. So that's a good thing. And I'm glad of it. We have quite a number of uh, prayer concerns. First of all, in rejoicing, we have a new brother in Christ, Donald Jefferson Jr., who had been taught by Alton here recently, was baptized by Jimmy Keyes last night. Praise God for that. We have added another brother to our number. Congratulations to Donald Jefferson. We want to remember uh, Bonnie Jones as she recovers from serious back surgery. Uh, also, Joanne Hawkins is in the hospital at this time with a UTI and dehydration. The good news there is she is improving and then she is a, in a warm, safe place at this time. Jackie Bray asked that we pray for C.E. Trousdale, I hope I pronounced that right, who fell and broke his hip on Monday. So we want to remember C.E. Also, those battling COVID, uh, Jimmy Dwayne Keys. Kelly's friend Marie, Jack Cummins, and Gina Blankenship's uncle. All of these and others that we know of uh, have been battling illness in their family. We want to pray a special prayer uh, also for Pat and Gail Schoonover and their family, who very suddenly and unexpectedly lost their daughter, Stacy, this week. She has passed away. Their hearts are torn as is ours. And we definitely want to offer them up to God at this time. I also got uh, a text from Brother Wade Miller who wants us to know that he will be having tests for his lymphoma on Friday and will be finding out the results a week from Monday on February 22nd. It's been six months since his original diagnosis and he wants us to pray for good results there and guidance in making decisions for treatment no matter what those results are. So you want to add Wade Miller to your prayer list as well. Let's go to God together at this time. Lord, though we often, especially as of late, seem to pine that these are the worst of times, we ask that you remind us, that you help us to have a perspective of things couldn't be better because we are in Jesus. His blood cleanses and saves us. We are redeemed to you, our Father. We have a hope because of your Son and his sacrifice. Let us never forget that, Lord. 
whatever this world throws at us, we can overcome. And Lord, we have many on this list who the world has thrown some very large stones at as of late. For those we mentioned who have had surgery or will be having surgery. And Lord, I want to include uh, our sister, Anna McBroom, who will be having shoulder surgery very soon. This surgery might leave her in a sling of her arm for up to six weeks. We want to include her in that group as well. Lord, for these who are fighting COVID or other diseases or injuries in their body, we ask that you would give them strength, carry them through the procedures successfully, help them ward off the pandemic, and restore everyone to their much-wanted health. Dear God, for our new brother in Christ, we, we thank you that his heart has been touched and led to Jesus. We thank you for Alton and Jimmy who helped facilitate, facilitate that and bring him to you, Lord. Dear God, for our brother Pat and sister Gail, we're grieving at this time. We, we ask that you would send your spirit upon this family. A mother and father have lost a child. A husband has lost his wife. Two children, though almost grown, have lost their mother. Dear Lord, touch them. Wrap your arms around them. and Help us to do the same. We mourn with them at this time. Dear Lord, we are so thankful that we have your church, that we have the body at Northwest for times like this, when things seem to be out of control or in critical situations. We are thankful that we have each other, that we are all many parts of one body, that the hand can comfort the arm, the foot can comfort the leg, that the heart can be touched, that the head can be healed. Lord, thank you for making us all children of yours and one flock that leans on each other as we lean on you and on our savior, Jesus. Be with us this coming week as we endure what, Lord, is actually dangerous weather conditions. Keep us all safe. Be with those who do have to get out and be about or work in these conditions. We love you and we know that your hand of protection is on us. Continue to keep it on us, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. At uh, this time, um, I want to go ahead and, and let you know, uh, we do have the 
Pants and Pancakes drive-through event, I believe, is on the calendar for next Saturday with setup on Friday night. So if you'd like to help out with that, uh, reach out to Danielle Nussbaum, I believe. So know that that's coming up and we need volunteers to, uh, to help. And also, um, Stacy Schoonover's funeral will, will probably be Friday afternoon at Northwest. We'll have more information on that in the um, days to come. So be looking for that and, and praying for that family uh, throughout this week. Uh, at this moment, uh, Dante's going to play a, a closing song for us. And after this song, uh, we will be dismissed to uh, visit and encourage one another uh, with